0: Hello, and thanks so much for tuning in to episode 41 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. Today's just a random pile of little things I thought I'd talk to you about because I have an exciting guest coming up in the next couple of weeks. Dr. Megan Milbreth will be joining me. I have been furiously scribbling questions and then scribbling them out because I know I only have a short time with her and I want to make them good. Um, Dr. Megan Milbreth is one of my beekeeping sheroes. She, to me, has some of the most the rational breeding program and queen rearing program that uh, for the smaller uh, beekeeper and queen rearer. I have devoured all the information at her website, sandhillbees.com. That's S-A-N-D-H-I-L-L bees.com, sandhillbees.com. She is out of um Michigan up in another cold area, and speaking of cold areas, I've got another guest in the works from a very cold area. <laughs> I guess I'm trying to cheer myself up that my winter's not that cold but uh dr Milbreth, um this is her bio from her website. Dr. Milbrath began working with bees with her father as a child twenty years ago over twenty years ago, and now owns and manages the Sandhill apiary, a small livestock and queen rearing operation in Munith, Michigan. She studied biology at St. Olaf in Northfield, Minnesota and received degrees in public health from Tulane and the University of Michigan where she focused on environmental health science and disease transmission risk. She worked as a postdoctoral research associate at Michigan State studying Nosema and is currently an academic specialist at Michigan State where she does honeybee and pollinator research and extension and is the coordinator of the Michigan Pollinator Initiative. Megan is active in multiple beekeeping organizations, writes for beekeeping journals, and speaks about bees all over the country. She currently runs the Northern Bee Network, a directory and resource site dedicated to supporting queen producers, and she is passionate about keeping and promoting healthy bees. So there's just so much um, in her background that I'm excited about, And in her current ground of work she's doing, the Northern Bee Network is a pretty cool thing. It's just a directory of um, small-scale or backyard queen rearers that can say, hey, I'm selling queens or trading queens or selling nukes. And it enables people to get local bees up in her area of Michigan. And that's a lot of what I want to focus on here in my area of the mountains of Western North Carolina is just creating some additional options for people starting out with bees uh, to get their bees from a local source instead of having to go outside the region and get bees that have not lived in our region successfully. Um, I mean, they, they can, don't get me wrong, they can. But to me, if you have kind of weeded out the ones that can't if you have somebody that's raising their own bees in the um, climate the particular particularly the microclimate that your bees are going to live in I don't know it's just one little additional thing they can have going for them and we need everything going for our bees that we can in my opinion so stay tuned for that so today I want to tell you some about the Observation Hive that I have in a back room. Now the um, listeners who are patrons over at the Patreon page, they may have already heard some of this because I gave them a little bonus episode a while back on the Observation Hive. But as you probably know, an Observation Hive, there's, there's two kinds. One is a kind that maybe you take to a classroom and it has a glass chamber on top and you can um, pull up the brood frame up into that glass chamber for the class or the demonstration that you're doing, and people can see the bees going about their everyday business. Now the other kind of observation hive is the kind that I want to tell you about, and that is a nucleus-sized, well, I shouldn't say nucleus, it's four frames, so it's a very small nucleus, four medium frames and this is an observation hive that the bees essentially live between the glass and you can look at them anytime and they come and go to the outside The the one i got i got off etsy the vendor was called tall timbers that's i remember that and um i got it for a christmas present I'm no relation to tall timbers, so if you order, <laughs> you're welcome to tell them where you heard about it, but I don't get a kickback or anything, um, but I like it. It I had read in Michael Bush's book, uh, Beekeeping Naturally, let's see, is that what this is called? No, it's called The Practical Beekeeper, Beekeeping Naturally, and um, I had read about where he mentioned that you could learn so much from an observation hive because you were seeing the bees, going about their normal business and as opposed to on a frame that's been removed from the hive which of course is going to stir them up in a way that's not regular Uh, and I am finding this to be so true. Now, First let me just say um, observation hives are a little bit more complicated even than a regular hive or a regular nucleus so once you feel like really, you know, comfortable with your, with your real hive and comfortable with managing nucleus colonies, then maybe you want to dive into observation hive, which is kind of a bummer because there's so much you could learn as an absolute beginner from having one, but uh, to me, the skills to make it, you know, more fun than stress come after several years of beekeeping. And strangely enough, that's also my opinion of top bar <laughs> beehives, which I, I like um, top bars, but I just have noticed that the skills that it takes for a top bar are something, at least for me, I didn't get several years in. Now, I guess if you had a top bar mentor and they taught you from the beginning, it would be different, but because I started with Langstreth, then I didn't feel comfortable with things like you know s- slicing comb off the edges of things to detach them and handling comb that can't be turned sideways, that type of thing. Took me a while on all that, but so anyway, the Observation Hive, the one I got is uh, four medium frames, and that's one thing Michael Bush says. He talks about a lot of different kinds uh, for sale, and maybe they used to be for sale, but when I went looking for one, I couldn't find many at all. I think Brushy Mountain used to carry one, but alas, Brushy Mountain that went out of business, which is so frustrating because they used to have all my equipment um, and now I'm having to piece it together from other companies but apparently they used to offer um, an observation hive the kind that the bees live in but um, this was the only one that I could find that was shaped right and by that Michael Bush talks about you want it to only be one frame thick because obviously if it's two frames or multiple frames thick then the bees are going to do all the most interesting stuff in between frames You know that that's their natural tendency but if you only give them one frame thick then they have to pick one side or the other both sides have glass on it so you can see it just a detail the observation hive you always have some type of dark cloth over it when you're not looking at them because that is how they prefer their colonies to be and um i'll put a picture of mine on the patreon page for everybody to see I had planned to actually read you the chapter on observation hives, but then when I looked it over, a lot there's a lot of pictures in it, and um, there's also just a lot of reference to some technicalities that might not make sense if you're not familiar with them or you don't have the pictures. But I will read you this paragraph by Michael Bush from his book, The Practical Beekeeper, which all this is also on his website. Why an observation hive? I love my observation hive. I've learned much more from them in a year than many years of keeping bees in a hive. Having one in addition to your hives gives you an idea what is happening outside in the other hives. You can see if pollen is coming in, if nectar's coming in, if robbing is happening, etc. You can watch them raise a queen. You can watch how it acts, while she is mating. Watch them swarm. You can count days or hours on capping times, post-capping times, etc. You get to see waggle dances, get-it-off-me dances, etc. (laughs) I love that, get-it-off-me dances. You get to hear what the bees sound like when they're queenless, when they're being robbed, when the queen is emerging, etc. I started building one a couple of times, but I never got it done. Now I don't know how I did without it. So, that's um, the paragraph that I wanted to read to you out of the book Practical Beekeeper by Michael Bush. So then he goes into the various kinds um, that you can have, I guess, that existed out there. From his book I got the idea that instead of drilling a hole through the wall to put the tube that the bees come and go out of the hive to the outside in, um, he shows a little insert that goes through a window. So you have a window Um, And you'd lift it an inch or two and put this wooden insert through which you have run the tube that the bees come and go He also had the tip of using a sump pump tube as That tube, because I have read that the clear tubes that you can buy like at Lowe's Well, sometimes the bees will get confused Because bees kind of like birds that run into your windows don't really get clear glass surfaces, but the sump pump tube is is both not slick, it has the little ribs in it Um, I found it at Tractor Supply and it's also flexible which is important because you want to be able to move this thing around without it uh, being detached. One of the little complications that I found is it's um, of course it says, let's see, it's as wide as a frame but the width is the part that you want to be able to see both sides so instead of going flat up against a wall which would be the most make the most sense space-wise it's to see both sides either you have to have it on some type of a lazy Susan thing which which I don't have or you have to have it on a shelf just sort of jutting out into your room (laughs) which is how I have mine so that I can walk from one side of the shelf to the other side of the shelf to see what's going on in both cases. He doesn't mention this but the other piece of uh, critical equipment for an observation hive for me is a little flashlight because um, well I, mean, I guess you could have a lamp but the flashlight's great I can kind of zero in on what it is I'm trying to look at and not you know disturb all the bees by putting them all in a flood lamp kind of situation. They don't tend to react too much to the light but i, I notice the queen does react to the light and often when i put the light on her she will pause exactly where she is for a moment and um but it's it's just fascinating because i've been able to just watch her walk around um reach into the cells measure the cells as we've read in books that she reaches in and measures them with with her forelegs to know whether she's in a worker cell or a drone cell and then she flips around uh, puts her butt in and lays an egg. And it's just fascinating to, to watch this all the while her entourage are gathered around her in that special little formation they have on the queen. They're constantly uh, kind of touching her, feeding her, just tending to her. And um, now, <laughs> in these observation hives, whether it's the kind that you just do for a day or an hour for a class or this kind, they say that having a marked queen really helps. But of course... I didn't have a marked Queen and now I'm glad I didn't put a marked Queen in there because pretty much twice a day I walk up to it I gently open the curtain and I see how long it takes me to find the Queen now you would think it would be really quick because there's just you know in either side of the observation hive when I pull that curtain back I'm looking at four frames you know one side of four frames so there's four panels that she could be on well most of the brood is on the middle two panels and you would think that if she was on that side i could pretty instantly find her Now there are days i can and but usually that's not so much because she sticks out because the queen i chose naturally is um she's a darker queen and she's small her name is stubby which i'll explain in a minute and um but what is becoming very clear to my eye is the shape of that queen retinue now they're not always in that shape if if they were always arrayed perfectly around the queen in then it would be so easy to find a queen you could just pull a frame out and you would look for that uh it, it, it kind of look if you think about it it's like an oval because the bees are are often their heads the group is they're facing her and then she's like a slit inside that oval, like like the pupil of a goat's eye. <laughs> um that would be the pattern that we would all look for and instantly see our queens, but no, they're not always in that pattern. The queen's moving around, they're constantly resorting themselves, you know to keep an eye on her. um sometimes she's moving quickly, other times she's uh well I'll, I'll say this what I did notice immediately is when I take a frame out of a hive out in the yard often my queen is moving very quickly she is going trying to get back into the darkness which for her often means going to the other side of the comb and in fact I was taught in finding queens out in the yard when you pull a frame out that one of the things that you scan the outside edges scan the outside edges of the frame because often the queen is trying to get out of the sun and back into the darkness which is her natural environment and so many times you will, glint, you know, if, if you pull that frame out, hold it up to the sun, if she is on the outer rim of that frame anywhere, she will try to make a run for the other side, the less sunny side of that frame. And sometimes you can spot her then. Not always, because sometimes you pull that out, she's in the middle of laying an egg, which I guess in my mind, I had imagined that to be a quicker thing than it is but she backs in and you know there's a little there's a delay several seconds um and then she very regally pulls herself out of the cell and moves on but if when you're looking for a queen if she is backed into a cell then not only are you looking for a bee that's not much bigger than the other bees but now you can't even see her back end which is usually the part that stands out because it's down in a cell so Queen finding on a frame is something I, I've said before. It really only started getting easy for me, easier. It's still sometimes impossible, but easier at about year four and five of beekeeping. I started seeing more queens. And I will say every year since then, I see more queens. Um, Often, I think you get a sense of where the queen is going to be in the box so you can kind of dive right into that spot and once you learn to do it carefully you can go in and actually pull a frame out of the the middle if you do it carefully and this does depend on your hive too because I didn't realize when I had just used eight frames that the eight frame box at least the kind I use gives you more room on the edges than the few 10-frame boxes that I've used. Um, I did some beekeeping in someone else's equipment managing a hive for them for a couple of years and in 10-frame in equipment. Now I did insist that they were all medium 10-frames because I'm just not going to deal with the weight of a deep 10-frame, uh, but what I found is it gets, m- counterintuitively it it was much tighter working in that 10-frame uh, box than it is in my 8-frame. So I have more room Like if I am going to go right into the center of the hive, like I'm trying to find my queen, in the 10 frame and as a beginner, you pretty much always need to take out one of the outer frames so you'll have room to move. But once you feel comfortable with your skills, and I would say don't try this at first because you could easily lose your queen this way, but with the eight frames that I use, I am able to slide over the outside frames far enough uh, to the very edge and then that will give me enough room to separate out a center frame and very gently remove it making sure that i'm not rolling bees and because if you roll your queen she can get damaged and that's a good way to kill your queen so you don't want to do it and that's why it's taught for beginners you know to take out one of those um very outside frames my friend deborah taught me a trick that she had read If you're in a tight a hive that's really tight, um, that it actually can be easier sometimes, depending on the hive, to not take out the very outside frame because at certain times of the year it is very thick and fat with honey because that's where they one of the places they store honey. But instead, to move that one as close to the wall as you can get it without smashing bees, and then take out the next to the outside frame. Um, Because that one often is not as fat. Because it is between two frames, then it's not going to have those wide shoulders that they like to put on frames toward the outside. So that was a little foray. So let me circle back around to finding queens. (laughs) So that's the finding queens out in the yard. Um, Finding queens in the observation hive. This is something that I am enjoying so much. Like I said, again, twice a day, I try to make a point to walk over there, lift up the side, and see how quickly I can find the queen. And, you know, I'll scan the ones on one side. if I don't see it, i let that curtain fall down and then go to the other side and see if she's over there. Occasionally, I cannot find her which is just ridiculous because really it's really just four medium frame sides that she's usually on and occasionally I can't find her uh, mostly because she she can be under a bunch of bees they there is enough space in this observation hive and, and Michael Bush talks about this one of the big deals with observation hives is getting the measurement the distance between the two panes of glass or plexi mine's plexi uh, which i like because it's not breakable and it's lighter that's the upside the downside i'm told is that it's harder to clean so when i eventually have to clean you know wax and stuff off the glass um that that will be harder because you can scratch it unlike glass that you can just scrape it with a razor blade but the spacing in mine, at least so far, now the truth will be told once it gets to be wax drawing season, because um, it's not wax drawing season right now, and even though they have a little feeder bottle, um, they've drawn a little wax, but not a lot, and also I put four drawn comb uh, in there to start them off with. So let me tell you about stubby. <laughs> I had a little mating nuke back in the summer, and I had run, I had raised a few uh, queens from cells um, in there. And then one of the ones later in the season uh, that Queen came back a drone layer and so I went in there and uh, that returned Queen was laying drones which you can tell because of that little bulbous cap instead of the nice flat worker cap there's a real bulbous cap on top like you put a vitamin capsule in that cell Um, and that is because the Queen is laying unfertilized eggs which are going to be drones in worker cells well the workers are like well what the heck do we do with this because that's not the right thing to put in a worker cell and so as a way to try to compensate they draw that that uh, weird arched cap which is very distinctive if you pull out a frame of brood that's a drone layer Usually they're not all drone layers, so it's all this drone brood, these weird capsule-like things in between regular, uh, the regular kind of flat caps on the worker cells, and you immediately, your eye goes, even when you're, hope well, once you learn what a normal frame looks like, which, just a little tangent here, this is why beginners, in my opinion, it's so important to go and work some, I started to say real hives, but work some grown hives with a mentor or a friend or just someone that you said, look, I'll bring you lunch. Let me just watch what you do. Um, Because everything you see as a beginner in a brand new hive, when you've just got bees probably maybe a package or especially a package because they're on foundation nothing in that looks normal you know that is not a normal way for a hive to look in nature ever (laughs) but um and the the problem is if you have not worked a full-grown hive or at least looked at a full-grown hive at depth multiple times then you don't know what a normal frame looks like And knowing what normal looks like is one of the most important steps. Because once you have looked at it, I mean, for example, if you went and you spent a season working with your mentor or even just shadowing someone who said, okay, if you just don't say much and stand nearby and don't touch anything, you can come shadow in my bee yard. (laughs) This is me, no, I'm just kidding. Um, But, um, you know, they will show you things. They can't help themselves. They'll show you things. And over time your eye just learns that pattern and then After you've learned that pattern and gotten it down when you pull out a frame that's wrong whether it's um, You know a sign of brood disease or a drone layer You might not immediately know what you're looking at but something in your mind will go whoa What is going on here? You know something is not something's not right and that's where you can begin your figuring out but um so anyway I don't know how I got off on that so anyway how I came to have stubby <laughs> so in this little mating you I saw it was a drone layer. I sent that queen to glory called that queen and then I believe I took out the frame that had the drone brood on it because I didn't want them to waste their effort on that and I believe I took a frame of brood from a healthy colony and put it in there and basically that's the stopgap measure that's just um, a placeholder if you will giving them that young open brood will buy me the time to get them a queen in there because as long as they have young open brood nobody will turn laying worker and that's a very another important tip <laughs> um, that I've said many times before so anyway I made a mental note to get them either a queen cell or um, a queen and as the case with most of my mental notes, it just disappeared. I have to have real notes and I forgot about it. I got busy with something else. And so next round of inspections in that hive, in that area of mating nukes, I open it up. And of course, the moment I did, I'm like, oh crap, this was the one I was supposed to give a queen. I forgot to. But they had made themselves a queen and um, she was out. I saw her as a virgin queen, and she was like the tiniest, stubbiest little queen I ever, I mean, it was just, I just stood there and went, oh man, you know, should I just get rid of her now, or not, but they were so protective over, her, and so, I don't know, what I perceived as visibly happy about having a queen, that I was like, oh well, you know, I've got plenty, I'm not, I don't have any cells or queens that I need to do something with, so I just put her back in there, and thought, you know, she'll probably never make it back from a mating flight, and we'll work this out in a minute but she did she came back and she was laying and so the next time I looked at her the little thing is just laying her heart out I mean she was just working it and so this is what happens I'd kind of become fond of her and I named her stubby and that was the mistake because you know once they're named um, then you have a problem but Stubby was healthy and robust. She was just small and after her mating, she wasn't as stubby, but still she's not the size of a queen that I would call good. <laughs> um, but I knew that I was going to try to set up my observation hive and so mentally I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose here because Stubby is, you know, she's not what you would call a keeper. A small queen, they usually don't last nearly as long as a bigger queen. Um, I think it has something to do with just their their mating capacity Uh, but I figured this would be a perfect landing party to put in the observation hive because I wasn't I wasn't sure if I could keep bees alive in the observation hive they're notoriously tricky because it's a somewhat well very okay a natural um, setup for a hive and um, so I thought well I'll just put stubby in there because and she'll be my trial run and if it doesn't work then no big loss to me um, although I've already enjoyed stubby so I put her in there and one of the things that Michael Bush points out I ran into immediately so on observation hive one of the reasons he says that four frames is pretty much as big as you want it is because you have to lift this thing you have to disconnect it from the tube stop up the tube which I just stuff up plastic grocery bag in each end and take the thing outside to work because obviously if you open it in the house you're going to have a gazillion bees in your house and that let me just tell you is the spouse really will draw the line at loose bees in the house (laughs) and some spouses if they are very thoughtful will let you have bees in the house as long as you swear you won't let them out into the house so i'm being very careful about this because i know i'm on thin ice but it's working well so far anyway so the four frame thing, if you get much bigger than that, then this is a big hive to be lugging in and out, it's very cumbersome, because it's tall, it's, you know, it's the size of a big piece of framed art, and it's heavy, relatively speaking, um, so, you know, compared to a piece of framed art, so I take it out, um, and set it on a table that's out on the front porch, that's about the right height, and, um, Um, that's where I've worked it so initially I took stubby's hive stubby was out in the orchard in the mating yard and I had taken that little nuke I took it over to another yard so that she would reset her gps they the the foragers not her but and so then they were over there about two weeks and then I brought them back I brought the nuke back you know put it on the table got my observation hive and began transferring the frames into the observation hive well it's um it's so strange you know working a hive in a vertical arrangement like that one thick the first quandary that I ran into was I had five frames in the nuke that they were in and now I have to pick four well I figured I could feed them because I did make a feeder hole this if you order by the way this hive from Tall Timbers on Etsy you will have to make some adjustments because it has a little door in the bottom um, and I don't exactly know what, well, part, well, I don't exactly know what the door is about. Um, it, so there's a little compartment in the bottom, which I've already looked at and go, oh, okay, in, in wax drawing season, they're very apt to pull some frame off the bottom of that and create a, a wax, you know, comb, anyway, I don't know what the little drawer is about. Um, it, it makes it handy to clean out the bottom when you have it outside, just to get the, gunk out um but so these so anyway so i have five frames and i f- i had adjusted this hive i had drilled a hole so that i could feed them i could put a little um soda bottle with some holes in it and i covered it with uh bee hardware cloth but they can still drink through the holes through it so i had made a little feeder port to set the soda bottle on top And then I also made a little ventilation hole and covered it with B-wire because, as you can imagine, it's it's possible to get condensation on those uh, glass or plastic sides. And if you get condensation, then that's too much moisture in there. And then, as uh, Michael Bush talked about in the chapter, the other downside is if there's too much ventilation, too much air flowing through an observation hive, I guess they can't maintain the humidity that's needed to raise brood, and so that was interesting, Um, and so I made this little ventilation port, but I also made it to where I can, well, I just, the cloth actually kind of covers it, which uh, limits the air just flowing straight through, because, since a tube goes into this you know they can't get a lot of airflow i mean they do get some but not a lot from that uh, tube going into the hive and also i think these bees have not had the time to propolize the door shut and so um and I know that because when I had to adjust something and opened it, it was not propolized shut. You know, I'd brought a hive tool in the whole nine yards because I thought I'm going to have to pry this thing open, which is, again, not easy. But they had not propolized it. They haven't had time. So I think there's probably a fair amount of airflow just coming in for the, through the natural cracks there. So anyway, I had to choose which frames to put in there, and I knew I could feed them. But my concern was pollen. When I got into that nuke um they had a frame with just partial pollen and I thought okay they're going to need that and um and then I just put more or less uh um a drawn comb up at the top that had a little honey but I thought okay this will give them plenty of room since I'm going to be feeding them um to put uh, nectar in there but I know they'll need that little pollen and I was actually not happy to see there was so little pollen and this is where um this is where an observation hive gets really interesting because like he said in that paragraph you can see what's going on so one of the first things I saw um, when I installed it which I think was back uh, maybe the beginning of September or so maybe around in there um, or maybe October it's all running together but so when I installed it they were still raising brood um, but they didn't have a ton of brood, and in my mind, I thought, okay, they're sort of shutting down for this season, and they're not going to have a ton of brood. So, I watched them in the first couple of weeks that I had it. I watched them run out of pollen, because that frame emptied out, and I thought, well, hmm, you know, is this, n- how normal is this? And I and I really wasn't sure how low their pollen stores get, um, but I knew it wasn't normal to not have any any and so i started trying to feed them some pollen substitute and again it's kind of a weird situation but i you know i just dropped a little powder down through the ventilation hole and they were scurrying around up there and i thought okay maybe they're taking it but they definitely weren't storing it and and i i don't think they store um pollen substitute i could be wrong about that i'll look it up later but um but anyway they still were not accumulating any pollen and on when they still had flying days you know because it is such a tiny little hive it was always tiny that's why I chose them I guess they they were using whatever pollen they brought in pretty right away and that's when I saw them begin to cannibalize brood now I know that bees will cannibalize brood if they are under nutritional stress Um, you know they look at brood and say hey we don't have enough to feed these guys and they're protein so let's have it and so they will do that and but then i saw it and of course i'm I'm like oh no you know i've got to do something here so i disconnected the tube plugged up everything took it out on the porch again um, opened it up which as michael bush points out the thing about it is because that opening is so huge you know when you open it up you're exposing fifty percent of the entire hive to the air And, of course, bees started walking out, which make, I mean, it's outside, so it's no problem um, in the greater scheme of things, or uh, on the spouse uh, category. (laughs) But um, it is a problem in terms of getting the door closed again, and because you don't want to squish all those bees, and um, so I was going to have to get those bees back in there. And so I opened it up, and I... um, got a frame, a beautiful frame of pollen, just both sides, go- just gorgeous frame of pollen that I had saved, wrapped up in a giant Ziploc in the freezer. And I started saving frames of pollen because occasionally, like in the summer, you know, in the height of summer or late spring, and the, there, there'll be hives that just have tons of uh, pollen frames. And when I find a particularly beautiful one, and the most ideal to me is like almost full of pollen, but honey around the edges, that's the best case scenario, because if I uh, I wrap them in freezer paper and then um, stick them in the uh, freezer, and if I have one, put them in one of those giant Ziploc bags, because I'm trying to preserve it so that for mating nukes, for example, um, I can put that beautiful frame of pollen in there, and they just do so much better. So I've started setting those aside in a in a hive that obviously is just a one of these huge booming hives. They can spare one frame, and I've started saving those. So I got one of those and gave it to um, Stubby's hive. Well, and then I had then I had to try to get them all back in there, which I just picked a tuft of grass to use as my bee brush because I didn't have my bee brush up there and kind of scraped them all back in there uh, as best I could probably lost a few I mean the foragers would be no problem because they're going to go back to their tube but you know the nurse bees it's it's very difficult to get bees back in a vertical hive this is something I learned but with time I flicked most of them back in there and closed the dang door and I don't think I smashed many bees um, and I put them back inside and so now they've got this big fat pollen frame well let me tell you you could visibly see them go wild over this pollen frame they fell on it like wolves it was amazing and and it was like boy they pulled out the stops on the queen too because she started laying like crazy and so this whole time, I'm I'm seeing, again, I'm learning so much because one is I have no idea what is normal for an observation hive, and I have no idea how much it corresponds to the little nukes that I still have outside, still waiting to go in the bee barn. That's another story. Oh my God, it's going to be a busy week for me. Anyway, so they she started laying like crazy. All of a sudden, she has Um, You know like four faces of comb just loaded with brood. They are going to town. They're taking more syrup They're just feeding all this brood and raising all this brood Now because the nuke that I put in there was so tiny um, Because overfilling Um, this four-frame thing obviously will come really easy and really fast in the spring. I didn't think I'd have any trouble with it in the winter and I don't think I will because I think they were just making up for lost time and they were so tiny um, and they were raising brood because they can. I think that's what they're doing. Um, But this was a big learning experience on how critical it is that they have pollen. Wow! There's nothing like seeing it with your own eyes. I mean to see a turnaround like that literally from day to day um, because of putting that beautiful pollen frame in there was amazing and just a side note they were not using the pollen substitute because i found most of it down on the bottom of the thing when i opened that little door to my horror because that would just be a total setup for uh... hive beetle which would be disastrous in this little um, hive. And so I swept all that out of there, got that all cleaned out while I had them out there on the table. So, um, Stubby is just reigning in her kingdom beautifully. I've become even more fond of her. (laughs) And um, my plan should, you know, if they make it through the winter, okay. My plan is to remove her uh, to a little retirement nuke. She has earned a retirement nuke for however long she lasts. to to remove her to a little tiny retirement nuke and I want to see them raise their own queen that's something I'm really looking forward to so now I have heard that seeing them swarm out of an observation hive is amazing you know all the prep and them going crazy and swarming out and while I would like to see that uh, because I don't think that swarm would have much of a chance I'm kind of not prone to do that but I do want to see them raise uh, queens we'll see how many queens they raise. If, I mean, this is a big if. I'm talking about counting your chickens uh, before winter. Counting your hives before winter is a real iffy endeavor. So, um, so anyway, that's the story of Stubby and the Observation Hive. Uh, I'll try to put some pictures up on the Patreon page for everybody. I did, I think I already have had some posts for the patrons. Um, The patrons do, I will say, you know, they get some bonus posts, because i'm so appreciative of their support of this podcast and so i try to give you guys some bonus posts and then i also put just because it's a place i can put pictures and things i'm also putting some other uh, things up for everybody and you do not have to be a patron to see some of the posts over at and that is at all at patreon.com slash five apple f-i-v-e a-P-P-L-E, and Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Um, so I will, and, and I do have up on the Patreon, available to everybody, the sugar brick recipe. It's my favorite one. It's, you know, it's got several ingredients, and you can make just plain sugar bricks with nothing else, um, but if you want some fancy sugar bricks that are, they smell wonderful, and the bees seem to love them and thrive on them as emergency uh, feed in the winter, that is over there too just scroll on the patreon page just scroll down and the title is feeding bees in winter i think it says how and why and i have a a written rant about feeding bees and fussing about people who don't um, feed bees who need it and um, then at the bottom is the recipe And uh, I believe it was Wayne asked me to make it in a printable fashion, so I made it into a PDF, and you can download it and print it if you want to. It is not my recipe. It is Queen uh, uh, Lori um, out of Washington State. That's her recipe. So anyway, I've gone over, as I tend to do these days, and I'm going to wrap it up here. I'll put some pictures up, and it might not be instantly, uh, because I'm running way behind on more things than usual this week. But uh, please stay tuned, keep an eye out for an upcoming interview later this month with Dr. Megan Milbreth. I may do other posts between then, it just depends on how the technology um, works. I want to thank each and every one of you that share this podcast with your beekeeping friends, with your bee clubs, with any groups that you're a part of on Facebook it's really delightful to get new listeners i hope this is helpful to people and i would love for as many people who want to listen as to listen but most people you know of course have never heard of it and unless you're a certain kind of geek you know most people don't even know to go and look for a beekeeping podcast of which there are several good ones and um so please share this with your friends and clubs and social media um places and if you feel moved, I would welcome you as a patron over on the Patreon page, but no pressure if that is difficult for you, that's just for uh, people who feel able to support this podcast, and I'm also on Facebook at Five Apple Farm Bees Honey and More, the Facebook, if you're on Facebook, it's an easy place to send me a message, I love getting your messages, I love to hear what you're doing, and I usually write back, um, there's sometimes I will miss a post, but don't give up, uh, just message me again (laughs) and um, if you don't do any of those feel free to write me on email blueridge714 at gmail.com and what I would love for you to write in in any place that you're on um, patrons you can do this on the patreon page is what you would like to hear about over the winter and any subjects that you would like me to attempt to do a deep dive on anybody you would love to hear an interview from any questions you want me to ask Dr. Milberth, um I am open to hearing all of that and just mostly hearing about your beekeeping, what you're passionate about in beekeeping, and what you're interested in. So thank you all. Have a good week, and I'll talk to you soon.